Amen. So I wanted to start a little interactive this morning. Uh, I read that was a good idea, so we'll do a hand raise here thing. All right, all right. Anybody, football fans, football fans in the building? Oh, good, good. I didn't have to ask my second question. I was going to ask if there were any Eagles fans in the building, and then I was going to be met with like a smattering of boos because we all know Eagles fans, right? They love to boo, they love to boo people. Uh, but anyways, I, it was a joke. It was a joke. I was waiting for a laugh. Goodness, goodness. Not so serious, Eagles fans. Um, so they're still hurting. They're still hurting. It's okay. Who hurts you? Um, <laughs> anyways, so the NFL draft just happened. For those of you that aren't football fans, I want to give you some context. The NFL draft happened just this past weekend. It's this time uh, where the NFL gets together in a city, and they have this big thing. They call it the NFL draft, and it's an opportunity for teams to look at college football players and decide um, kind of which ones they want. Like, it consists of seven rounds, and each team gets a, one selection per round, ideally. Um, and the team that finishes worst last year gets the first pick this year. So the worst gets the first. Uh, and the primary goal is for these teams to find new and upcoming talent. Um, they evaluate all these players based on their football IQ, their, their size, their weight, their speed, all these things, the potential upsides, what the, the team may need. Um, and then they try to address those through the draft. Uh, one thing about the draft is it takes place in a city. This year it was in Kansas City. A lot of times it's the team that won the Super Bowl is where the draft is at. Kansas City won. The, I'm sorry, I'm taking a lot of digs at the Eagles fans this morning. It was just too, it was too easy. It was too easy. I apologize. Um, anyways, so the party's in this other city. But those that are being drafted, they're oftentimes at home. They're on their couches, they're with their families, um, and they're enjoying that time with them, waiting to see if their name gets called, right? So I was catching up on the draft a little bit this past weekend, and if you don't know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a Tennessee fan, like, not the Titans, like college football, right? The good, fun stuff, like go Vols. You may not know that. Now you do. Uh, I've been working to indoctrinate our kids this past fall. I told Brooke that, hey, if, if the boys have to be Eagles fans on Sunday, that's fine, but I need them to be locked in on Saturday morning with me, all right? Like, I need to be locked in. College game day comes on. We're going to watch it. We're going to sing Rocky Top and put on our orange uh, outfits, and then we're going to be really disappointed later when they probably should have won it and they didn't. It's a really rough life being a college football fan. If you want to come try it out, you can come down and hang out with me on a Saturday. I'll introduce you to the misery that it is to be a fan of college football. Um, but anyways, you, you really don't want that in your life. You just, you just got to... You should just find something better to do for a hobby. Uh, but anyways, so I'm watching this, and the thing that I'm noticing is that as I'm catching up on, like, all the Tennessee players that got drafted, and I'm like, oh, man, look at them. They're going to have such a great career. Uh, you watch these great moments take place. Because like I said, they're at home. They're sitting on their couch. they got their mom or their grandma, their dad, their brother, sister, somebody, their close family sitting there with them on the couch. And there's a lot of times there's this camera set up on the other side of the coffee table, and it's just filming them as they wait there, hoping that they hear their name called next. Um, and, and, and the camera's set up, and you just see these incredible moments where you, where you see their faces change as their phone rings, because what happens is the owner of the NFL or the, the, the coach of that team calls them on their cell phone before the pick's made in live television. They call the player on their phone and say, hey, we're going to pick you next. So that phone rings, and they hold it up to their face, and you just see their, their face change when they hear that voice on the other line offering them this life-changing opportunity. This is life-changing opportunity. Something that's about to just radically change their life from now forward, having a career in the NFL. 
And today in our passage, I want to look at a guy who also had a, an opportunity to radically life-changing uh, moment in his life. It's a familiar passage to many of us. We're going to be in the book of Genesis. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, your Bible app, it's very easy to find. It's the first book there. For me, it's page five on my book, so you don't even have to flip that far through your Bible before you get to it. It'll be on the screens for you as well. We'll be in Genesis chapter 6, verse uh, 5 through 8. Uh, let me read it for us. It says, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind who I have created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, birds of the sky, for I regret that I have made them. Then verse 8 says, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Noah found favor with the Lord. Verse 6 says that human wickedness grieved God to his heart. It deeply grieved him. The word for grieved there that they use is the same word that's used later in the Old Testament for a, for a wife who has been abandoned by her husband. It's this soul-wrenching, despairing grief. It's, it's, it's not God like up there wringing his hands thinking like, oh, I'm about to get them. They've been so crazy. Like, wait till I, wait till I pour my wrath out of them. That's not how, how God is acting here. But, 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 but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, this undeserved kindness. And God uses that to preserve Noah and his family as a representative of the human race. And through him, he's going to repopulate the earth on the other side of this. So you may say like, well, was this like an effective solution? No, short answer, no, it wasn't. Like, Noah screws up his own family within one chapter of, of getting off the ark, and by the end of chapter 9, it's like the end of an episode of the Jerry Springer show. Like, it's, it just doesn't fix anything. Uh, chapter eight twenty one says that the author repeats that, that even after the flood, the intentions of the human heart were still only evil continually, which tells you that a greater kind of salvation would be necessary. Not just a restart, but one that would go to the core of the human heart, which is the real meaning of the story anyways, but we'll get to there as we go through the day. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is four points, four things, four ideas that we can see that we can draw out about Noah this morning. Is that okay? We need another interactive moment. You with me still, right? It's just the intro. We've got a little bit to go. Um, four things about Noah. Uh, first thing that we can see about Noah in this text is that Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. What was special about Noah in this chapter? Nothing. Please, like, if you, if you don't get anything else today, don't miss that. Nothing was special about Noah. He simply heard the voice of God, and he responded. Verse 9 goes to tell us that he was a righteous man. But why was he righteous? Because he responded to God's call of salvation. That's what made him righteous, period. That's it. You know those players that were on their couches during the NFL draft? Like, God calls, Noah picks up the phone. He says, yep, it's me. Okay, whatever you say. Uh, second thing that we can see about Noah is that Noah was chosen to be a channel of salvation to others. Noah was chosen not only just for his salvation, but to build an ark that would be a vehicle of salvation to anyone who would listen, right? It ends up only being Noah and his wife, his three sons, and, his, and their daughter, or their wives, his daughters-in-law, but like already, that's seven people, right? Noah's salvation, seven other people are saved because of that. Like, uh, the point is that God's grace towards him was not intended for him only, he was to be a channel of God's grace to others outside of his own self. 
Third thing that we can see about Noah is that Noah had to dramatically rearrange his priorities in the light of God's grace towards him. God shows up, and Noah there, he's minding his own business. He's building this house. He's shepherding or farming or whatever it is that he's doing there. You know, he's trying to provide for his family. His neighbors are just crazy. I mean, every inclination of their minds was nothing but evil all the time. Like, you think you got bad neighbors. Noah's neighbors were just probably out of control. Like, who knows what is happening next door? Noah's just trying to bind his own business, make his way through a broken world. And God says to Noah, he says, hey, listen, Noah, I'm about to do something, but I'm going to need you to do something also. I need you, Noah, to do something before I do the thing that I'm going to do. And just as an aside, can I help somebody this morning? The thing that God wants to do in your life, there are steps to that. Sure, God shows up in miraculous ways, but many times the plans that he has for our lives, it's something that we are active participants in. Noah had to have faith that God was going to do the thing that he said he was going to do, or else he's just wasting his time. Scholars say it took Noah like 100 years to build the ark. People lived longer back then. It took Noah about 100 years, maybe 120, to build this ark. Think of what else Noah could have done with 100 years. I mean, this is the totality of our lives now. Noah had a lifetime to do this with. Think of what else he could have done. How much of his own life had to stop, had to be radically reordered, reprioritized to accomplish the thing that God had called him to. He could have stopped after day 30 and said, God, I don't know, God. I remember that you called me to this, but these calluses, these blisters on my hand, God, like, they're hurting. Like, I done chopped down these trees. It's day 30. I'm trying to get them lined up to build this ark, God. It's getting, it's getting hard, God. Like, it's, it's, it's hard to do the thing that you've called me to, but Noah still had faith, and he trusted God on day 30. Get this, just like he did on the first day when he was confident, oh, this is what God's called me to. First day confidence on day 30. He could have stopped after year 20. He said, God, my back, oh God, my back is hurting. My kids, they are tired from helping me do this thing that you've called me to, God. Like, this is hard work, but he had faith, and he kept trusting God, believing that if God made a promise, he was going to keep it, that all this work wasn't going to be in vain, that Noah wasn't just going to build this big ark, and then the rain wasn't going to come. Maybe I'm just talking to myself this morning, but God is calling to you to something that takes time, something that takes time, and each and every process of that takes some time. Sometimes God is accelerating those steps, he's accelerating those processes, and sometimes it is slow, and it is steady, and it is uphill, and it is hard. But what he calls us to, God calls us to trust him to put one foot in front of the other, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And at the end of it, when God shows up like he said he was going to do, just like Noah, I promise you, you'll be happy that you put the work in. After this, Noah couldn't go on with life as normal. Imagine the difference from this point on in and how Noah saw the world. Like every person that he knew was headed for destruction. The house that he had built wouldn't be there for very long. The things he had created, the life he had built for himself, his family, his, his home, his business, all of those things would soon be gone. Everyone that he knew would either be saved on the ark 
are destroyed in the flood. And all that would remain when it was all said and done was the work that he had done for God, the ark and the contents of it. Fourth thing we can see about Noah, Noah was grateful. If you fast forward to the end, uh, after God has sent the flood and saved Noah and his family, Noah gets off the ark, and what he does is the first time that he does anything that God hasn't called him to do already. He offers this sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. It's, it's an interesting note. Like, it's the first time. This is not the a direct response to something that God has already commanded Noah to do. Throughout the story, what has characterized up to this point, Noah and God's relationship is that, that God commands and Noah does. God says, hey, Noah, I need you to do something. Noah says, all right, great. What is it you need me to do? He says, I need you to build an ark. Great, I can do that. What does it need to look like? And then God tells him, and then God says, go get the animals two by two and bring them in and put them on the ark and tell people like they should repent. They should come on the ark. God is commanding Noah to do all these things, And Noah does them, but then on the other side of things, once he's been saved and he realizes that that God has saved him from this wrath, the first thing he does when he gets off the ark was he overflows with gratefulness and gratitude, and he says, man, i got to find some way to say thank you. i got to find some way to give something back to God because he's given so much to me. God, why did you show me grace? Noah says, why did you save my family? Why me, God, did you decide to work with me and let me be a part of the work that you are doing to save others? It's like in the draft, a lot of times these, these players get the call, and you see the, the, the phone up their face, and they say, thank you, coach. You won't regret it. That's what some of these players say on the phone call, and you see the drive in their eyes. They realized the opportunity that had been placed before them. And in such a higher and, and holier way, just like God did with Noah, God made that call to us. He called you up, and he offered a spot in your family, in his family. But can, but can I tell you a secret? Get this? Jesus intercepted that. Jesus picked up the phone on your behalf. Jesus, Jesus picked up the phone because if God had called and we'd answered and he'd saw our game tape, he'd seen how our hearts were bent to sin, how that we tried to get up early and we tried to get in the spiritual gym and we tried to get all the spiritual muscle mass that we could and, and get strong and, and build this holy muscle mass so that we could overcome the, the wrath of God. God sees that and he says, no, there's no way that you can overcome that. It's too much of a burden for you to bear. But Jesus picks up the phone and says, hey, God, listen, I can shoulder that wrath for them. I'm strong enough. I can take on that sin in 2000 years ago, Jesus does just that. I don't know if you hear me this morning when he died the death that we should have died. And when he, when he that knew no sin became sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we could become the righteousness of God. Some of us, some of us maybe need to hear that for the first time. Some of us need to hear that and, and, and know and believe the good news of Jesus. And if that's you today and you're here, man, I'm so excited that you're here. We'd love to chat with you more after service. I'd love to see you afterwards. Our Next Steps team would love to, to meet with you to explain to you, like, man, what does it look like to walk with Jesus? And, and what does this mean for my life now? Um, but some of us, um, a lot of us, I think sometimes it's like that old movie, you know, that movie that you really like and you tell your friends, like, yeah, that's a good movie. Um, but then you get to thinking about it, and if you're honest, you forgot some of the finer, the finer plot points, right? Like, what was the re- like, did I really like that movie? What was the reason that made me fall in love with it for the first time? Some of us need to be reminded a lot, like, hey, we need to rewatch the movie. Like, rehear the story. We need to rehear what Jesus has done in our lives because it's very easy a lot of times for us to forget. Like, I'm here to remind somebody that he has been a way maker for you. He showed up when nobody else could, that he moved that mountain that looked like it was just, you couldn't even see the other side of it because it was so big. Those groceries lasted when they, when they shouldn't have lasted. 
Your kids that you were so concerned about, you didn't know if they were going to find the right friends. They didn't know if they're going to have the right influence. God put people in their lives to help grow and mature them. Like you went with what direction they were headed, but God stepped in and, and now they're on the, the right path. That job came through that pregnancy that you were so worried about. It was healthy. Those ungodly, those unhealthy habits that were in your life, God put people around you. He put you in a church. He put you in a crew. He put you around a group of people that could provide uh, uh, barriers for you and, and, and help you to, to live in your purpose and grow and mature and take next steps. Like God has provided for you, would we not forget how good he has been to us? And like Noah, we'd be stirred to be thankful, these outward expressions of this internal joy that's in our heart. Would we be grateful? Would we be thankful? Would our lives be this expression of that? Would people be able to look at us, look at our lives, look at our schedules, look at our priorities, the way that we spend our time and our money and our, and our effort, and would it reflect that our lives have been radically changed by the goodness of God? Because I, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me today, like God has done some stuff in my life. And would our lives just reflect the knowledge of that. And as a, as a church, as a local gathering of believers, as this part of the body of Christ that's gathered here in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, like we're in a similar place as Noah, right? Like Noah has these things. We are in a very similar place as Noah. God has, has shown us so much grace as a church, out of bodies of believers. I don't know why, but the evidences of his grace are all around us. The evidence of his goodness. Can I tell you, can I tell you about some of them today? Is that okay? Is that okay? This is another interactive point, all right? Uh, baptism. Last year, we baptized 71 people from April this year to April last year. 71 people took an active public next step in declaring, man, God, you are like Jesus. I am here for you. I want to make it publicly known that you are my Savior. Sunday mornings, our gatherings have been increasing in number like 20% over this time last year. And you say, Pastor Jacob, that's cool. Like, why do you want to talk about all these numbers? Because numbers are people. Numbers represent people, and people matter to God. So we want to track that. We want to be able to give an account of all the people that God is sending us to see if we're doing the things that we wanted to do, which is help them know God and find freedom and take next steps and learn and love and, and walk with him and get in community. And, and we also want to be able to share these encouraging things with you guys so you can be spurred on to good works because God is doing such an amazing work around us. His evidence is here, and it's, it's, it's tangible, and I want to remind you, like, what was special about Noah? Nothing. Nothing was special about Noah. He just listened to God, and he did what he said. And as a church, what's special about us? Nothing. We want to listen to God, believe in him, and take him at his word that Jesus really desires that none should perish, that he's put us in this place to be a conduit of salvation to others, that we're here to tell others about the good news of Jesus, and that he's using us, and he's just scratched the surface, we believe, to do something powerful in this area. Listening to God, saying yes, and being ready to do the things that he asks of us. Second thing that, that, that we can see that's similar to Noah, what does God ask of us? We've been given a very clear mission. Just like Noah, God has given the church a very clear mission. Jesus summarizes that in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. He says, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded of you. 
It's very, it's very simple. Like Jesus has given us our mission. And here at Accelerate, we believe that that, that, that works out in, in four primary ways, both in a public way and in a private way, um, so that there's some things that people do see and some things that kind of happen behind the scenes that others don't see. Uh, and those public and private practices help us to look more and move more like Jesus as we go on our walk with him. So it works out in, in four ways, we would say, that we want to help people. You guys have probably heard it before. We want to help people know God find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. God has given us a clear mission. We want to we make disciples and baptize them and teach them to observe all these things. That's how we believe that we can do it, by helping people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And each one of those has a public practice and a private practice. Like there are things that we do, uh, like attend service and servant service that are public. That's how we know God. We come to these life-giving services. But then there are private things that take place in our lives that maybe not everybody sees, but the fruit of that is, is, is apparent and it helps us grow and look more like Jesus. We read our Bibles, we pray, we Sabbath, we fast. Uh, finding freedom, like publicly, we want to join a crew, we want to lead a crew, be a part of other crews so that we can be around people that are moving in the same spiritual direction as us and that can help us grow and develop and mature into the people that God wants us to be. Like that's a public practice of finding freedom. Privately though, we need accountability. Like, not just transparency where we tell everybody our mess, but accountability where when somebody says, hey, you shouldn't do that, we don't do that thing because God has put people in our lives to give us wise counsel. Forgiveness, these private practices of finding freedom. Discovering purpose uh, publicly, like we want people to get to our next step station, to go through open house, to understand like, man, what is it that I can do on my next step with Jesus? I've got these skills, I've got these talents, I've got these, these drives within me that I really want to do. How can I put those to work in the local church? And then privately, we want to develop those purposes. Like we want to come alongside you and help you get better at the thing that it is that you like to do. And then lastly, make a difference by serving on the dream team publicly and privately by evangelizing, serving, giving, all these things that happen through the week in our own personal lives. So second thing, we've been given a clear mission. Third thing, how as a church, we're similar to Noah. Just like Noah, we've been given something to build. Noah was told to build an ark, and when Jesus left this earth, he said, build my church. And whenever God wants to do something here on earth, he gives people specific instructions and he says, hey, I want you to build this. It's very something very specific. He didn't say to Noah, hey, I'm going to send a flood, so why don't you just figure out how to deal with it? Like, good luck. I'd like you to do something about it. No, he, he, he told him, he said, look, I want you to build an ark and I'm going to give you some very precise instructions because this is what I've called you to do. And the church in the New Testament, uh, it's equivalent to the ark. Like God says, I'm going to build my church. And I don't want to overstate this, that God left one institution on earth for us to build. And we want to continue. We're called. We believe that we're called. You and I are called to that work of building God's church, not this physical building that we're in. This is the Marion house. Like it's a property on 507 Kings Highway South in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. This is the Marion house. This isn't the church. The church is each one of you that's seated in the seats that believes in Jesus. You are the church. And here we believe that God has called us just like the early disciples in Acts to see lost people found found people pastored, pastored people trained, and those trained people mobilized. Or to say it in another way, we want to help people know God, find freedom. I know you've heard it before. Discover the purpose and make a difference. Um, And just like Noah, just like Noah, we know that God's selection of us was not simply to save us, but to make us a channel of salvation to our community. 
that okay? That's why, that's why we pour into our kids and ACTV kids in the back. We want to be a conduit of God's grace to them. We're not just watching kids. It would be more effective to just put on a movie and give them some popcorn and say, man, I hope we can make it through the next 20 minutes. But those dream teamers back there, they want to see those kids learn about the good news of Jesus, to be taught the, the wisdom and the saving knowledge of life, of scriptures from an early age, and to help them grow into the people that God wants them to become. That's a, to, to build this, this firm foundation in their life that they can stand on from an early age. That's why the, that's why the load-in team shows up early at seven o'clock on Sunday mornings to put down the chairs and put the, the stage up and put up the screen and the screens and the lights in the back. Like they want to create these life-giving spaces where people can meet Jesus, where the gospel of Jesus can go forth and where people can be saved. God has called you and he's called me to come together to see so that the gospel can, can go forth in our area. It starts with our salvation, but it doesn't end with us. We talk a lot about what God has called us to as Christians, right? Like, oh, what is it that God wants me to do in my life? I'm trying to discover my purpose. And like, there's definitely some nuance to that, but the overarching goal is very simple. Jesus said it's for us right there in Matthew 28. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He's not just saying that to the pastors. He's not just calling that to the directors, to the worship team, to the coordinators, to those that oversee teams, to those that are on the dream team. Like he's called all of us his church, his body that he's left here on earth to be a conduit of salvation, of grace to others for our salvation, not to just stop with us, but to come into us and then extend out to those around us. And I'm finishing up. The band can, can come, but this is big. I don't want us to miss this. That The mission... That, require, that God has called us to, this mission requires a radical reorientation of our priorities. Noah's adjustment that he makes in his life is not just this slight adjustment. It was a whole new way of looking at the world. The mission that Jesus has called us to, it's not just a slight adjustment of our lifestyle. It's a whole new way of, of looking at the world. It's urgency. Paul says in Romans 9 that, that he was in anguish every day. He saw the way that, he saw the world the way that, that Noah did. Noah said, man, I'm building this ark like you've got to come get on it with me. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. Paul's saying the same thing. He said, the rain is coming. Jesus has come. He's died so that we could get away from the rain. Jesus, our ark, our ultimate ark has come. And Paul's trying to tell people, he says, he says, every day I'm in anguish trying to find how I can tell more people about this. And my question for you this morning is, do you see the world this way? I know that we say we believe the gospel, but do we act like we believe it? Does the urgency that dominates our lifestyle, that dominates our lives and our patterns, does it demonstrate that we actively believe the thing that we say that we say that we do? Or does our mouth say that we believe something, but then when we look at our priorities, when we look at our lifestyles, when we look at our giving, our serving, uh, the way that we spend our time and our money, does it show that maybe we believe something different? That maybe the faith that we have in Jesus is just faith and that the works that we have, or maybe the works are in, in something else on building our own kingdom and building our own platform and building our own lives and our own happiness apart from who Jesus is. And here, guys, I, I, the urgency of this mission, it demands that we not huddle up in this conclave of people and sing God's songs and just watch the world go to hell around us. 
when Jesus shed his blood and offered us the power of the Spirit so that we could make a difference in people's lives now, not sometime in the future, so that we could reverse the tide, so that we could see the salvation of Jesus extend into Accelerate City, into Cherry Hill, into Camden City, into the, the Delaware Valley region, into our places of business, our schools, our neighborhoods, our cities, our homes, our towns, our families, so that everybody that's in this area can accelerate into a relationship with Jesus. And just like Noah, when it's all said and done, will we do so with a grateful heart? Will we remember that, that the reason why we do all this is because Jesus is our, is our why, that we get to do this, that Noah was so grateful when he got off the boat that he offers this sacrifice of his own volition. I mentioned to you earlier that the ark kind of, it pointed beyond itself. It really was just this ineffective way of, of wiping out sin. But the story, just like the entirety of scriptures, point beyond itself. It points beyond itself to Jesus. Jesus being the ark that, that, that we were pulled into, that kept us from the destroying rain and flood of God's wrath. Jesus who, who drowned in a sea of God's wrath so that we could be lifted safely above it. He shielded us. And when Noah got out of the boat, he commenced this new creation. But when Jesus got out of the grave, he begins this new creation that was, that was total. That it wasn't just new families, but new kinds of people. That those whose hearts had been transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. And if Noah was grateful for the salvation provided in the ark, how much more should we, those who have been saved by God's grace, by, 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 by our ark of Jesus, how much more should we spontaneously erupt in gratitude and sacrifices of thankfulness for what God has done for each of us? And as we come to a, an end this morning, I've got a, a question for you. If you think back to the draft illustration, what if those players just hadn't picked up the phone? Those college football players that were sitting on the couch, what if they hadn't picked up the phone? What if instead they had other things to do, like good things, bad things, just things that took them away from, from that moment? Like they probably could have continued to play football, right? They could have found a pickup league, a, a rec league. They could have done something else with their, with their spare time. But it wouldn't be the same, would it? You say, Pastor, I'm not qualified. I don't have skills. I'm not a, a teacher. I'm not a sound technician, a lighting designer. I'm not a singer, a theologian, someone with a number of fancy degrees. Can I encourage you this morning? Neither am I. And neither was Noah. Noah never built an ark before. Neither were the disciples. The disciples hadn't been trained. They were fishermen. They hadn't been trained on how to go out and, and preach this gospel and create this, this movement um, from, from, from what happened with Jesus. Like they weren't trained for that. Jesus already answered the phone for our salvation. All we have to do is show up. All we have to do is show up. Listen, we've at least got some training for you. If, we, if, we, if you say, hey, I want to show up, I want to serve on this team, man, we at least got a PowerPoint. We at least got a PowerPoint. We'll help you through. God is calling. Pick up the phone. It's going to be life-changing for you. And it's going to be life-changing for others. Like, don't hear me say this morning that we want something from you. Like, I really don't. I really want something for you. I want something for you. I want you to, to be able to experience the joy that it is to make a difference in the lives of of others. Is it going to take some reprioritization of your life? Sure. Sure it is. But God has promised that he's going to do something. And the question is, do you believe him? 
do you take him at his word? Do you have faith that God is going to do what he said he would do? And the things that you lay aside for Jesus, the homes, the careers, the jobs, all these things that may be holding you back are going to be incomparable to the riches of his mercy and grace at the end of time by knowing that people's lives are being changed, that families are being repaired, that that generational patterns of sin are being stripped away, and you get to be a part of that. So this morning, I want to ask you, like, what's the next step look like for you? You've been on the, the ark of Jesus' salvation, maybe, and he's bought you from death to life, and the question is, would you, would you create life-giving spaces for other people to hear the good news of Jesus? Would you care for the next generation so that the gospel doesn't stop with you, but that it's communicated down to your children, to your friends' children, to your, to your cousins' kids, to, to that person that you love that's in your crew that you care so deeply about? Would you invest in, in their child's future so that uh, Jesus can be taught to them at an early age, they can have this foundation in their lives? Would you welcome people into the gathering of, of, of God's people, the church, so that they can feel like they can belong maybe even before they believe? While they're trying to figure things out, would you display the same grace and the same hospitality that Jesus has shown each and every one of us? And if that's you today, why don't you head to the next step station after service? Our team's going to be back there. They'd love to talk to you. They'd love to to help you walk along what it looks like for you to take this next step in your faith journey with Jesus, to make a difference for Jesus in the world right now. And maybe this is the first time you're hearing Jesus. This is the first time you've heard his name. Would you call on him this morning as we, as we all pray together? Would you, would you call on his name this morning? Maybe this is the first time that you're hearing about Jesus. You're saying, man, like, I want to be saved from God's wrath. I want to answer God's call. Like, I want, to, I want to partake in this thing that God's doing. Like, Jesus is here and he's waiting for you. He's so glad that you're here and he's glad that you come. We'd love to, to connect with you after service. If you want to take some time afterwards, man, head to the Next Step Station. We'd love to talk with you there, to share with you how, how, how good Jesus is, how he's good. He's better than anything else. He's better than your, your wildest expectations. Our team would love to connect with you so that you would know life and life abundant in Jesus. So would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for, for saving us. Thank you for showing us grace. God, for calling us to something that you don't just call us, that you don't just save us, but then you call us to something, that you give us purpose, that you don't just let us just uh, ramble around the world with useless, useless, uh, useless time, God, but you call us to something. And that something is to be a channel of grace to others, to be mirrors of your goodness in our own lives to tell others about the amazing work that you've done for us, the things that you've saved us from, the chains that you've broken in our lives, would we tell other people about that so that they can know you, God? So thank you for this time. Would you be with us? Thank you for our, our teams, how they, they come together each and every week so well to serve and love and create these spaces where people can meet you. Would you help us as a church, God, to continue to be a conduit of your grace to those in our neighborhoods, to those in our cities, our towns, our jobs, our families. Thank you for it. Thank you for this time. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you-